Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So updating the situation uh, uh, with respect to the the murder of Chicago police officer Andres Vasquez Lasso. The other night in Gage Park, uh, last yesterday evening, the 18-year-old charged with murdering him was in, indeed just that. He was formally charged with first-degree murder. Uh, now, he is still in critical condition, so uh, it's unclear whether or not uh, you know, he'll wow. survive. So He's speaking. Not, whether or not this will uh, go to trial, but we'll see. Uh, first-degree murder, aggravated unlawful use of a weapon, aggravated discharge of a firearm near a school, all felonies, of course. Those are the charges. Now, as uh, it pertains to this uh, previous incident with law enforcement by this guy, uh, first of all, he was previously been identified as a member of the Latin Kings street gang. Uh, Seth, I heard he was part of 2-6, but okay. A CPD report documenting his July 22 arrest said he is a Latin King gang member. Okay. The um, In addition to oh, that... Uh, with respect to this July 2022 arrest. So he he was in a car. He was one of three people in a car that uh, was involved in a drive-by shooting, shot another guy. The, the car drove by, and somebody else in the car, according to prosecutors, shot at this guy, wounded him, hit him in the knee. Right. The car's driver was charged with multiple felonies, the 15-year-old boy who ran from the vehicle was charged with shooting the 29-year-old who got shot in the knee. And with respect to the guy who murdered uh, uh, Officer Lasso, uh, he was charged only with a misdemeanor. Even though felony review, I mean, even the prosecutors in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office uh, wanted to file felony charges against him, including gun possession and aggravated battery, according to CPD records. He faced only a misdemeanor resisting charge, which prosecutors then dropped four months later. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Well, they charged the youngest kid with the gun possession charge because he would, uh, he's, you know, he would face a different penalty than if the older kid's. He, he was it. charged. The, the, no, the younger kid was charged with shooting. Right, because he was part of a gang initiation. Because yeah, the cop killer. What well, I don't even want to say his name. That was you know he was talking him into. He's like, you got to do it. You want to be part of the gang? Got to kill him. Got to shoot at somebody. The uh, Kim Fox said that the the guy who killed the Chicago police officer Lasso uh, was not charged with a felony because the evidence does not support a charge of gun possession for this offender. The misdemeanor charge against uh, 
the shooter, the guy who killed the cop, dismissed after he completed a 25-hour community service program, according to Fox. So he's uh, a known gangbanger, Latin Kings. He's in a car that uh, engages in a drive-by shooting. Mm-hmm. And he's charged with um, a misdemeanor. You you can't make out a charge. So um, Find if, a charge. First of all, it's an attempted murder case. And if you are in the car and you are part of the plot to to do this drive-by shooting, then, of course, you're an accomplice to attempted murder. And what do we get instead? We get one of the accomplices, ostensibly, in this attempted murder of the 29-year-old who was shot in the knee, gets a walk. So can you, say, can you say Kim Fox uh, has blood on her hands with this officer's blood on her hands? Maybe. Um, this is just July of last year. So had all three of these individuals, including the minor, been charged with attempted murder, um, yeah, maybe they don't get charged as an adult, but they're still in a juvie detention facility for until they're of age or for if they're of uh, – uh, uh, yeah, until they're of age. And and then they can um, serve out an additional sentence depending on how it's charged and prosecuted. So, um, yeah, could these crime. guys have been off the streets? I mean, could this guy, I should say, and all three of those guys involved in the – uh, drive-by shooting from from last July. Should they be off the streets less than a year later? I think the answer is yes. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Dot Pro answer line six four six three six D A Turnkey Dot Pro. All right, line. I have something to tell you. Okay, so uh, this gangbanger, cop killer, is awake, according to Alderman Lopez and other police sources. Uh, he was boasting in his hospital room that he had killed a cop and was wondering what cop he's going to kill next. I mean, unbelievable. But no, you know, no, no one throughout the streets is a gangbanger. And, nobody, you know, nobody cares. She doesn't care. Why, why not? He should be in jail. He should have been in jail. That's what they used to do back in the day. Remember when Walter Burnett, he was, part of, he was in a car where they had an armed robbery. He went to jail. He served his time. This kid does 25 hours of community service, picked up garbage on the side of the road. Wow, he's, he's you know, what a great redemption story. Um, what people voted for. I'm not sure I would use Walter Burnett as a case study in this. I mean, other than... No, I'm yeah, just saying he was in a car served. with three people. This guy was in a car with two other people, and there was gun violence. Right. And back yeah. then, back in the day, if you did that, you would go to jail. Now well, you don't. Well, um, just point of order, um, you know, facts matter. Uh, Walter Burnett was involved in a bank robbery where he was the wheelman in Kankakee. Yeah, he was driving the getaway car. To, in Kankakee. Um, so, right, he got two years. Um, but the law is the law, and, again, police are saying this guy was a Latin king. You, He's involved in a drive-by shooting. That's sort of classic street gang activity, is it not? And so all of the parties to that shooting in that car could have been charged mm-hmm. as my as, as a minor, the 15-year-old, as adults, the other two. Didn't really. I mean, it, it, it certainly didn't happen for the guy who went on to murder Officer Lasso. Uh, also this, too, just from the neighborhood, Gage Park, 
And by the way, Officer Lasso lived like two and a half miles away from where he was murdered. He was in Marquette Park. Uh, one of the women who called 911 and did not want to be identified, that alone says something, didn't want to, didn't want right. to be identified by the press. There were a lot of kids because it happened in front of the school. She's talking about the shooting. A lot of kids because it happened in front of the school. And remember, this is, was like before 5 o'clock uh, the other day. And they're there, and they go there to play. And we thought it was safe, so we would go and let them play there. But now it's changed. Boy, you could take that sentence. Uh, they go there to play. We thought it was safe, so we would go there and let kids play there. But now it's changed. You could take that sentence and apply it to a lot of neighborhoods, and a lot of specific schools and parks in Chicago, couldn't you? Here's uh, Alderman Lopez. When you got the bad guy. You better do everything you can to make sure that that guy doesn't go back out onto the street and cause more harm in the neighborhood or somewhere else. Because this, what happened last night, is the worst possible scenario of the end result. Only one speaking up about this, by the way. Um, well, that's not exactly true. Um, Alderman Brendan Riley oh, spoke up about it. Yeah, he sure did, Dan, didn't he? Uh, he <laughs> tweeted out, he's heartbroken to know that and I'm not going to say her don't name say her because name. I don't want to, to double down on the inanity and the recklessness and the sloppiness of the sloppy drunk that is Brendan Riley. Heartbroken to know 8th District Police Officer, female name, was shot and killed today. My prayers go to her family. She served our city well. Take a minute to thank a cop for his or her service. Well, of course, Cringe. it wasn't a female cop that was murdered. Wrong name, but, wrong gender. But that's what happens when you tweet after your daily intake at the boss bar rather than taking a moment to make sure you know what has happened, particularly when it just comes over the wire that a cop has been shot and you're, you're, seeing, you're hearing scanner. When, the, when the, the tweets with the scanner and the interaction between police and dispatch were going around um, late uh, Wednesday night, um, I, the initial thought was it was the uh, female cop that was talking to dis dispatch. Some people were saying, and I, I, I had I talked to a cop friend, they, a, a cop shot, I think it's the female that was on with dispatch. So some people believe that. But that's why you say, well, let's, before we do anything, particularly memorialize someone, declare someone has been murdered, how about we make sure we know because obviously it's a chaotic situation. Yeah, that's but, what we but heard, too, that it was a female first. And then they said, wait, wait, don't say anything. And then, but the family member hadn't to, even been notified. That's too much to ask for Brendan Riley and the virtue signaling class. They have to be first out with thoughts and prayers, cut and paste, thoughts and prayers, insert name. It really is, it's indicative of not just being sloppy and reckless and, um, a poser. It's also indicative that you don't really care. Thoughts and prayers, insert name. Okay, check that box. I'm done with that case. Mike in Union. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. Hey, so real quick. So if I'm driving down Western Avenue and get a ticket for a red light camera or go through a school zone and get fined, my penalty is worse than that of somebody who may commit a major crime in Chicago and just gets let free. I mean, um, seems kind of kind of stupid, doesn't it, Dan? Thanks for the call, Mike. Well, 25 hours of community service. 
Um, Whip-de-doo. Yeah, well, I, I agree. Uh, Craig Monk-Greenwood. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy, and uh, thanks for taking my call. You know, the problem here is um, you know, quite often it's these felony uh, uh, gun violators, uh, shooters, the uh, people that, it, it, in, in this case, commit murder in, in that that are let off, and, it, and it's these prosecutors that are attached to the left that are, uh, in most many cases, supported by uh, Soros and put in there by Soros. And here's the bottom line. It's purposeful. It's not by accident. These, they want, the bottom line is, is they want to take and disarm law-abiding citizens. And by terrorizing, by keeping the terror, terrorizing going, the crime and everything, people, the public, they more and more are, uh, are all about, oh, yeah, we have to give up our guns. We're get rid of the guns. It's guns. And it's so sick that this is the way the left goes about it. They want the American people to be terrorized so that they will cooperate with the disarming of America. It's a leftist thing, and it's it's just sick. And th- and that's why these shooters and that and these felt that's why they get off the hook from these prosecutors. Purposeful desire to terrorize law-abiding citizens, and that's why you don't see the um, armed police and, and armed people in schools. The school they it's so sick the way it's twisted up where the um, crime and everything, especially the uh, uh, murder and assault of uh, children and old people and law-abiding citizens, this goes on with the use of guns and everything because of these leftist prosecutors. Thanks for the call, Craig. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, building off of our update situation with uh, the murder of Chicago police officer Andres Vasquez Lasso. I'm talking about uh, the uh, uh, known Latin king charged with his murder last night. Brandon Johnson. Uh, let's, let's go, go Brandon. Brandon. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know <laughs> They changed it to we want Brandon, by the way, because they don't want to be associated with let's go Brandon. Yeah, it's not a compliment. I'm just letting you know right. what the word on the street is, okay? Uh, he is a finalist for Mayor of Chicago, you may have heard. He went on uh, the Joy Reid show on MSNBC because, of course, he did. Joy Reid and Brandon Johnson talking about Chicago's problems. This is um, a really instructive interview. 
really instructive. So perk your ears up. Uh, Joy Reid asked him about the source of the disillusionment with Lori Lightfoot that prompted him to run and, uh, you know, to, to which he owes his success as a finalist. And here's what he said. Um, as I've worked to become an organizer in the city of Chicago, pushing for education justice and fighting for workers' rights, um, you know, Mayor Lori Lightfoot four years ago made history by embracing the very movement um, that uh, made her election and candidacy possible. And then, unfortunately, she was a disappointment because she abandoned all of the progressive um, um, promises that she made. And clearly, the city of Chicago is uh, ready to turn the page uh, yeah. on her and actually connect to someone who is def definitely uh, tethered to the movement. Tethered to the movement. Um, so translation, uh, Lori Lightfoot, not left enough. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Make no mistake about it. Lori Lightfoot, she's just another one of those right-wing extremists, according to Brandon Johnson. And by the way, he's getting paid 100000 to be a community activist for education justice for the CTU. And he's working. still getting paid today, by the way. Good work if you can get it. Mm, uh, what exactly do you do? Now listen to this, too, because this whole thing uh, is important because you can't believe, some people I don't think can believe there's a constituency for this. But not only is there a constituency for it in places like Chicago, it is the majority view. And I, I know people have a, some people who are sensible have a hard time wrapping their minds around this. Yes. But believe it. Watch election results. Watch policy choices. And also think about what he is thinking about his path to victory. This is not, you know, just howling at the moon. This is in part calculated and calculated with a political end goal in mind. Joy Reid's setup, though. This is as much about Joy Reid as it is about Brandon Johnson because it's illustrative of the mindset. So Joy Reid wants to talk about crime, but listen to this setup. Oh, boy. You have a lot of African-American middle-class folks moving out of Chicago due to things like, you know, uh, discrimination, um, uh, law and order issues, um, you know, multiple issues causing people to leave. Um, and then you also have a lot of, you know, white Chicagoans who are complaining about crime. But the, 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 the crime rate increase is not even across communities. It's not evil, e even across racial communities. Your campaign has said that your tack on that is to cut $150 million from the police budget, tax the rich for a billion dollars in new spending on schools, transportation, health care, mental health, and job creation. That is your campaign platform. Paul Vallis, who the Fraternal Order of Police is backing, his tack is to call it an utter breakdown of law and order, and his whole campaign is about taking back our city. He plans to take the handcuffs off police officers to stop raising criminals. That sends a, an alarm bell in, I think, a lot of black folks' heads, but your thoughts on that? Just let that sink in for a second. First of all, uh, middle-class black families are leaving Chicago because of discrimination. discrimination. <laughs> what? <I know. laughs> she had me at discrimination, Dan. Uh, oh, my God. So, so I'm sorry, um, Joy, uh, who's discriminating against them? Uh, you know, th those uh, folks in MAGA country over in Streeterville? <laughs> Your hood. Uh, 
But you the, moved out because it was too much of a MAGA country. Yeah, she's yeah right. right. I was afraid of the right-wing extremists. <laughs> um, the, I mean, but again. It's so sick the way she posed the question. Again, think about the thinking. Um, and by the way, what did she also say? Effectively, only white people care about crime. And Paul Vallis uh, or anybody else suggesting that he's going to take the handcuffs off of police. Oh, that sends chills through the black community. Does it? I don't think it does. I think it sends chills through Joy Reid because she's an ideologue. Um, I don't think it sends chills through the neighborhoods because law-abiding black families want the same thing as law-abiding white and everyone else. They want to be safe in their neighborhoods. What are these uh, families saying who witnessed uh, the or, or saw the aftermath, at least, of the of Officer Lasso's murder the other night in Gage Park? They're saying, number one, um, it's terrible what happened, but I, I appreciate that the officers were out there trying to keep the neighborhood safe for our kids to play. Number two, I thought it was safe for our kids to play. Now I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> Discrimination, uh, only white people care about. The mentality, the mentality. You have to get your head around it so you can effectively combat it. You can't just say it doesn't exist. And they sell this stuff to, you know, vulnerable people watching MSNBC. Like, oh, oh there's, there's discrimination so bad in Chicago. Black families are moving out? 200,000 black residents left Chicago between 2010 and 2020 because of discrimination. Okay. So anyway, so that's the setup from okay, Joy Reid. Okay, I Reed. can't wait to hear his answer. And here's Brandon Johnson, who offers a similarly stem-winding uh, re- reply. Yeah, look, public safety is um, top of mind of many people. Uh, my wife and I were raising our three ch- children on the west side of Chicago in the uh, dynamic neighborhood of the Austin community, uh, one of the largest concentration of black folks around the country. And though we love our community, it is one of the more uh, violent neighborhoods in the entire city of Chicago. And so um, we experienced this firsthand, raising three children there. And so um, between me and my opponent, um, no one has a greater incentive for the city of Chicago to be safe um, than someone who is raising a family under those circumstances. Look, the bottom line is, is that Paul Vallis um, in the 90s was in charge of the budget of the Chicago Public Schools and had budgetary um, uh, leadership within the city government. And we are in the economic uh, crisis that we are experiencing right now because of um, his failures. In fact, I was in high school at the time in which um, he blew the budget, but he did it in Philadelphia. Um, he did it in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, shutting down schools, um, uh, the loss of black educators under his uh, reign. Um, he's been an absolute nightmare. But this is someone who was also identified uh, with the extreme right wing. Um, once President Obama, uh, the first black president, was elected, um, he said he identified more as a Republican. Uh, he said he was fundamentally opposed uh, to reproductive rights and abortion. Um, here's someone who has been embraced by leadership um, that has been supportive of the January 6th um, insurrection. So um, he certainly uh, represents the most extreme aspect of the political dynamic in this in throughout the country. I, on the other hand, um, I'm doing what works. Um, the safest cities in America all have one thing in common, Joy, and what that is is they invest in people. And so what my budget plan does, which is balanced, I'm the only person who actually released one, um, having passed multi-billion dollar budgets on the county board, um, we get at the root causes of, of violence in the city of Chicago while also dealing with the immediate crisis. And we do that by promoting uh, rank and file members to become detectives, 200 more 
We do it by spending to make sure that the consent decree that this administration has ignored um, is um, administered with all due expediency. But we also make sure that we hire young people. Um, there's a great predictor of violence reduction throughout the country. Young people working. Um, is the greatest predictor to drive down violence. And so that's what my plan is committed to doing. There's a lot of mumbo jumbo yeah. to unpack there. But um, the bottom line is just the phrase root causes. Just focus on that for, phrase for a minute. I mean, him, Brandon Johnson, talking about root causes when it comes to violent crime is really uh, almost a perfect parallel to Kamala Harris talking about root causes for uh, mass migration and uh, illegal entry into the United States. She's going to stop uh, people from trying to get into this country illegally by addressing root causes of the Northern Triangle countries. How's that working out? Mm-hmm. It's working out about as well as it as Brandon Johnson trying to address root causes when it comes to violent crime will work out, because what does he want to do? Uh, midnight basketball and summer jobs programs. Meanwhile, cut police, uh, put the handcuffs or keep the handcuffs on police through... A, the uh, idiosyncratic enforcement of that consent decree. That consent decree doesn't make policing better, doesn't make the city safer, which is why the Trump administration and his Department of Justice rescinded it. Um, And, of course, Lori Lightfoot reimposed it at the local level of her own volition. But that's not pro-public safety, that consent decree. Uh, So, and, and, you know, I mean, without getting into all of the, uh, aspersions he cast uh, in the direction of Vallis. Just what, what he's talking about with respect to quelling the endemic violence, including in his own frickin' neighborhood, this is how much of an ideologue he is. That's the real tell. He's right about one thing, that he lives in one of the most violent neighborhoods in Chicago, the Austin neighborhood. But he's so committed to the you know, ideo- ideological posture of the new Marxists that he can't even bring himself to do the things that would make his neighborhood and his own family safer. That's who you're dealing with. He's going to be beholden to the union. Stacey Davis Gates is going to be on the fifth floor, folks. He doesn't need, he doesn't, beholden, he he is the union. There's There's nobody to be beholden to. There's nobody he needs to take instruction from. They know what to do. He's on the program. He is the the program. He is the program. Matt in Mount Greenwood. Dan and Amy. Well, after listening to that, he certainly is an eloquent silver-tongued devil who says a whole lot of nothing. If people had a half a brain and listened to what he said, he's got no answers to anything. Um, I talked to a lot of people from all over the south side of the city, not just the 19th Ward. Uh, My sons go to a school um, on the south, further south uh, and east of the, in the city. But uh, I know a lot of guys of all races, colors, and creeds, and every one of these guys works for a living. Cops, firemen, businessmen, business owners. And guess what? If Brandon Johnson gets in, virtually every one of them is planning to leave somehow or another, either A, get out of the city or get out of Illinois altogether. And this goes, including my neighbor, who is a business owner. It's... Uh, it's palpable. I mean, I think people are afraid of what may be coming to Brandon Johnson yep. gets in. It's, it's, I'm almost speechless, which is kind of rare, but uh, this guy is, he's the devil. I'm telling you, we all know it. It's, it's, it's people better wake up. They have thanks, to, thanks for calling And a shrinking back. city can't afford tax hikes, but yeah, I mean, that's just part of the problem. But here's the thing is like everybody knows it, what Matt just said. Well, 
No, they don't. No, look at my neighborhood. More people voted for Brandon Johnson than his own ward. In my ward, white, liberal, progressive women. Go, Brandon. We love you. We feel so guilty because we're white, so we're just going to vote for the black man. Give me a break. And then you go to the school. I talked to so many teachers And they'll do it yesterday. again. I know. And again and again and again. Because they have money, Dan. They're loaded. They drive around with their Tesla SUVs. And, you know, they've got not two houses, sometimes three different houses, not in Chicago. They go away in the summertime. They go away in the wintertime to the, you know, the ski lodges and the homes that they have up there. They don't care. They don't live the battle. They don't fight the fight. Well, and, and, and so. And the teachers, real quick, I'm sorry, but the teach. I talked to so many teachers yesterday. They. Our state, what they were telling me about Paul Vallis, I was just shaking my head. I'm going to have to get like a three-point plan for them. Um, they're being told by their union and SEIU that Paul Vallis is going to take away their jobs. Paul Vallis is going right. to shut down all these schools. I said, this is a high-performing high school. No one's shutting anything down here. Okay, they, maybe, you know, look, and then I showed them the Wire Points article. You know, this school has this many pupils in it and this many teachers, occupy, you know, it's operating at 5%. They'd never seen anything like that before. Like, what are you talking about? So here it is. Here's the article. That's the point. The fear runs in a lot of different directions, Mm -hmm. and so does the fear-mongering. And there's more than one echo chamber. So uh, Matt from Mount Greenwood is in an echo chamber with productive people, uh, whether they're first responders or uh, entrepreneurs. And then there's a different echo chamber, the world that uh, the rank-and-file Uh, public sector union apparatchiks live in. And then there's another echo chamber, uh, people in communities that have been ignored uh, and are beset with endemic violence. There's a lot of echo chambers. There's a lot of silos here. And that's sort of the point I'm getting at. Uh, This is people, oh, you know, uh, just dismiss the idea. This is lunacy. Brandon, no way Brandon Johnson ever gets elected in Chicago. Okay. No, there is a way. Okay. okay. Yeah. And, and, um, wake up people. And, and, you know, he's giving you a preview of what the next 30 days are going to be in this interview with Joy Reid. He's also giving you a preview of what a Brandon Johnson administration would be. But, uh, right. So you heard him be critical of Paul Vallis, you know, started to get into the race thing, talking about uh, minority teachers. Mm-hmm. Places like North, he shut down the schools. No, Katrina shut down the schools. Exactly. But anyway, but anyway, don't, don't let facts get in the way of a good story, Dan. Please. Um, so Brandon Johnson uh, finishes with uh, the typical race hustlers flourish. And do you are you concerned that this sort of breakdown over the crime issue will become as sort of racially an uh, polarized in an ugly way as it has in other cities? During the campaign, well, well, there's certainly been a whole lot of dog whistling here, and so Bingo. you know, look, you know, you know, painting um, a public school teacher, um, you know, in a certain light is something that, of course, that the you know extreme right wing, of course, has embraced. But as a progressive Democrat, um, I'm mm-hmm. definitely committed to making sure that we're doing we do what works, and you know, again. Um, investing in lives and young people is the best thing that we can do, making sure that we are providing mental health services to deal with the trauma around uh, the city of Chicago. That's what I'm committed Mm -hmm. to doing. If you think that a little two step, uh, one uh, dog whistling right wing extremists attacking a black man, two is I'm going to spend money to invest in this and invest in that. If you think that doesn't work in Chicago, then you have not been paying attention. Somebody texted in on our text line. Uh, Brandon Johnson has three children. Where do they go to school? Well, that's a good question. Maybe I'll ask that next um, time I see him. 
Mike in the loop is on to something here. Mike, thanks. For you the know, call. I agree with the previous caller about people moving out if this guy gets in because he, the scary part about it is what is he going to do that he hasn't said he's going to do, right? I think this is not happening by accident. This is the practical plan and their plan to burn down the city because they think they can rebuild it better than it is today in their own vision. I think this is this is not an accident by these people. Believe me, you know. Not an accident. Thanks for the call, Mike. Not an accident. What have um, I been saying for a long time? It's counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. The worse they make it, the people in charge, Pritzker at the state level, the power structure in Chicago and Cook County, the worse they make it, the better it gets for them. Because who leaves? Matt from Mount Greenwood and his friends. And so what does that do to the political landscape? It gives them a bigger margin for error, not a smaller one. Who's left? You were just saying it. Uh, wealthy, wealthy white leftists wealthy. who are insulated from terrible public policy, mm-hmm. who most, I mean, mostly and insulated, less, less and less so, but mostly insulated. And they, they're looking at this like a spectator. And people who are beneficiaries of transfer payments who rely on government largesse, and so more government largesse is music to their ears, their dependents, and not much in between. And that is the perfect electorate for the new Marxists. Mike from the Loop is absolutely correct. And it's been going on in Illinois and Chicago for a long time, which is why somebody like Brandon Johnson can come in and say, I'm the reformer to replace a failed reformer in Lori Lightfoot. Yeah, he's the new shiny object in the room. Very well spoken, as you saw. I mean, he he's good at promoting what he believes in. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Earlier this week, a Michigan woman named Rebecca Kiesling testified before a House committee about the fentanyl epidemic of uh, fentanyl epidemic that claimed the live lives, plural, of her two sons, Caleb and Kyler. 
Here's what uh, Ms. Kessling had to say in part. The year Caleb was born, 2000, there were 20,000 drug-related deaths. And the year they died, it was five times as many. And um, I appreciate you using the term fentanyl poisoning because that's what it was. It wasn't an overdose. They had no idea that they were doing anything that could kill them. And it's because fentanyl got into this country. I, I heard this man over here from the Cato Institute, you know, talk about, well, it's because of demand. What I'm hearing him say is they asked for it. What the hell? Seriously? Are you kidding me? We need to protect our children. They didn't ask for that. This wasn't demand that they wanted the fentanyl. They didn't want fentanyl. They thought they were getting Percocets. Okay? He's absolutely clueless. Like, total disconnect from what's happening. Um, you know, and to say, oh, let's just give them strips or let's give them rehab. Well, you know what? My kids got the federal. My son, Caleb, went to federal rehab. It was a flop house. It wasn't real rehab. You're wasting your money where you're sending it. I'm telling you, it's a waste of money because it wasn't real rehab. And the government paid for their drugs under COVID. They encouraged them not to stay home. All these young people in our support groups, we all talk about it, how they paid for their drugs with the federal funds under COVID that gave them incentive not to work. Healthy young people. Uh, Mr. Ten Percent, the big guy, President Biden, was at a House Dem event on Wednesday night in Baltimore. And and this has been a little bit misreported. And this is a good example of my routine admonition to not overstate the case because it's not necessary. The, the, the headline and what people have been saying, Joe Biden laughed at this mom. He didn't laugh at the mom. He was responding to a tweet by Marjorie Taylor Greene that essentially he had blood on his hands because of his lax border policies. This is what Biden said. Responding to Marjorie Taylor Greene's tweet, let's just be fair about it because the underlying issue uh, doesn't change, and that's what's important. She, she was very specific recently saying that a mom, a poor mother who lost two kids to fentanyl, that that I killed her sons. Well, the interesting thing is that fentanyl they took came during the last administration. (laughs) So he's laughing about the accusation by Marjorie Taylor Greene. He's not laughing at the mom's testimony. But there's no empathy there. I mean, he lost his son to cancer and his other son's a horrible drug addict. He should have a little more compassion. And that well, didn't I, sit well with mom because then she went on with Harris Faulkner. Yeah. So what a horrible human being. How can he sit there and joke about it? Somebody asked me, oh, you know, did he just like misspeak? I'm like, this shows his heart. You don't have to think about what you say in a moment like this. And to me, it's like it shows this is why he just opened the border so wide. He just doesn't care. He's completely heartless. The president owes me an apology and all of the other parents who have lost their children. They owe us. He owes us an apology. Well, um, right. I agree with that. I agree with what she said there, because um, the point is he's using a a reply to Marjorie Taylor Greene's tweet as a way to not have to address the substance of the underlying issue, which is what Miss Kessling is talking about, of course. And by the way, related story. 
Border Patrol agents along the nine southwest border sectors apprehended a little over 128,000 migrants just in February, uh, which uh, is up more than 30 percent from February 2021. Because the Biden administration is sending the message, it's okay, come on over and bring your drugs with you, too. Well, of course, I mean, it's not just the flow of people coming across the border. It's the flow of people with materials. It's the flow of materials. That's the point, And that's the point that um, that mom is making and we're making and so many people have made, including experts uh, on border security. I mean, it's not that complicated, but because he can't go there, he thinks politically or this is what he's come to believe. I don't know which doesn't really matter. The outcome's the same. He just uses this as an opportunity to spar with Marjorie Taylor Greene because she's a much less sympathetic figure than obviously a mom who lost two sons to fentanyl poisoning. And then Karine Jean-Pierre tried to, you know, do clean up in aisle three. The American people knows who he is fundamentally because yes. he's been around for some time and they have watched him go through grief. He expressed right. sympathy for her last night um, and uh, his heart goes out oh. to uh, any person, any person who has to go through that type of uh, trauma. His words are, are being mischaracterized. I mean, are you, is he for real? So, something else go too going on, just a related topic too, because I, I don't know if you've seen these videos, but they're making their way around the web. This uh, a trank drug, they're calling it trank, yeah. which puts people in like zombie-like states. You have people like milling about, like hunched over, completely out of it. Oh, homeless people take that too. Yes. Well, I'm sure. Of that. Uh, it's uh, it's it. The actual drug uh, apparently uh, X. Exlazine. It's the FDA uh, licensed this for use in veterinary medicine, but it's being taken by addicts, and I mean, it, it turns them into zombies. They are it's wandering scary. around completely out of it from the neck up, hunched over, unable to move. You have uh, the, this video of two of people on on trank in Philadelphia. One, I mean, it's weird and disturbing. Uh, one woman is just like looking up at the sky with her mouth yeah, agape so and just gross. wandering around. I mean, it's wild stuff. Um, so that's FDA sanctioned, unlike fentanyl, of course. Well, fentanyl. Fe fentanyl lacing of things like Percocet, of course. Or or aspirin. I mean, I've been to three fentanyl funerals. I, I just and I, I, I'm, I'm shocked every time that nobody cares. Really, where's the media covering this? We shouldn't be going to funerals of kids of our friends' children. That's a, we should be going to funerals of, you know, our parents' friends. And, and they, they, Why are we going to teenage funerals? Because they lace it in things that you don't even know. There is somebody out there trying to kill our children. And kids these days, Dan, they don't like to drink alcohol. They think alcohol, a majority of them, you know, think it's bad. And they take pills, which is awful. And they shouldn't because they don't know what they're getting. Uh, but that's the reality of it. Well, you also have um, this sort of therapeutic state where uh, kids are b being drugged for any yes. malady, uh, real or imagined, that they have, and so it just provides more opportunity to deliver right. that kill shot, which is, which is uh, tragic, of course. Um, uh, Miss Kessling, uh, the Michigan mom you heard from, 
She went on to say, if we had Chinese troops lining up along our southern border with weapons aimed at our people, with weapons of mass destruction aimed at our cities, you damn well know uh, you would do something about it. We have a weather balloon from China going across the country. Nobody died, and everybody's freaking out about that. But 100,000 Americans die every year, and nothing's being done. Not enough is being done. Numbers are going up, not down. And you talk about migrant children being taken away from their parents. My children were taken away from me. Well, this... um, has produced an op-ed from former Attorney General Bill Barr in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, And um, he wants a military response to the drug cartels. The drug cartels in Mexico that are moving, you know, Chinese, yeah, synthetic drugs. Uh, The narco-terrorists, he argues, are more like ISIS than the American mafia. And he argues that here's a few things that we should do because AMLO has clearly uh, decided not to be serious about trying to interdict the activity of the Mexican cartels, who basically uh, have either bought or uh, intimidated Mexican officials from trying to stop the cartel's activity. Um, First, a far more aggressive American effort inside Mexico than ever before, including significant U.S. law enforcement and intelligence presence, as well as select military cap, uh, capabilities. Basically, what and so that's one bar is uh, uh, seemingly like going back. He must have just watched uh, uh, Narcos. Seemingly wants to take us back to sort of the DEA and American activities in Mexico in the 80s. Uh, and perhaps some, there's some merit to that. Second, he argues the dangerous cartels, the danger cartels pose to the U.S. requires we confront them primarily as national security threats, not a law enforcement matter. Case by case prosecution of individuals can be part of an overall effort, but the only way to defeat them is to use every tool at our disposal inside Mexico. Um, he uh, writes the cartels have Mexico in a python-like stranglehold. American leadership is needed to help Mexico break free. We can't accept a failed narco state on our border and providing sanctuary to narco-terrorist groups preying on the American people, which is what we're uh, inadvertently, I'll, you know, ascribe um, less than uh, malicious motives, inadvertently doing with our unwillingness to maintain our national sovereignty, which includes control of the southern border. Mary Kay, Western Springs, John Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, good morning, you too. Um, the woman who, ado- she adopted those two boys, this woman who we, you started out talking about. Um, those She was on Tucker Carlson last night. Mm-hmm. She adopted those two boys, and now they're gone. And um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's the problem that she described, you know, uh, with, um, you know, getting, getting drugs that were... She, you know, they had fentanyl in them that they, they, you know, maybe ordered them off the Internet. Who knows? I don't know how old they were. Um, but, <laughs> um, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm losing my train of thought because my sister has an adopted boy whose mother was drug addicted. And he's only eight years old. And um, he, if something like this happened to him, I mean, kids start these drug things pretty young. And he's got it in his um you know, I don't know if drug addictions in the DNA, but that's what he grew up with as a little boy. And all of his siblings are having trouble, too. He was born with alcohol fetal syndrome. 
and um, this is something that will be a challenge for my sister as this, her son grows up. She's she's 56 years old, and she took this boy in as a three-year-old, and um, you know fostered him, and now he's hers legally. He's he's her son, and she's an older mom. It's just very scary to me um, what might happen to this boy as he grows up. My nephew. And as far as Biden is concerned, he's a freaking fraud. And he, he emotionally, he doesn't know. He, he, Amy, he's, yeah. His if empathy button happens, was shut down, I can tell you that. Well, Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. I don't mean that. I, don't, I know you hate me to say that. I know. I'm sorry, Amy. But, you know, the, I, I don't even know where to go with this. I'm so, I get so upset thinking about, you know, young men, Amy, you've gone to funerals of kids who have died because of this problem. Yeah. Drug it. Hmm? Yes, I have. Fentanyl funeral. I know, and it's awful. And if something happens to my nephew, you know, like that too, it's just, it's it's the saddest thing, and we should not be going well, the to Biden the funerals. Is, yeah, but, but the Biden administration needs to do something. What about, like, day. putting out PSAs, one pill can kill, or doing doing something? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Get, you know, Craig Emhoff, uh, the first, the second gentleman, he's looking for a cause, maybe... Uh, any, no, anything. no. Craig Emhoff, the he second gentleman uh, who keeps his nuts in Kamala's purse, is focused on toxic masculinity. I know. He chose that over the fentanyl crisis. Yeah. He's yeah. Combat- that's the real it's, drug. It's, it's that's the real drug that's taking down America. Toxic masculinity, according to that dink husband of Kamala Harris's. Uh, I mean, Dan, Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. On AM 560, the answer. And, Aunt Amy, uh, just so you hear from the horse's mouth or the dink's mouth as it more appropriate, this is the second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, the uh, cuckold that's married to Kamala. Oh, There's too much of toxicity, it, masculine toxicity out there, and there, we've kind of confused what it means to be a man. What it means. Yeah, he's you know, definitely confused about what it means to be a man. I agree. How did you describe him? He has his what and her what? He has his nuts in Kamala's purse. That's where he keeps them, for, you know, for for safety reasons. Uh, so uh, she's uh, so hard to be relevant, isn't he? Though. Yeah, right. right. I, I forgot he existed. Uh, root causes. That's Kamala's job in uh, Northern Triangle countries. How's that going? Uh, we just went through the numbers and uh, and not not fentanyl, uh, not any other of the real challenges facing America and. The concerns of families across America, like fentanyl poisoning, he's over there. Toxic masculinity, that's the real poison. Tina Joliet, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi. Hi. Good morning, guys. So I, I first and foremost, I want to say that the, the biggest drug dealers in this country are our public schools. There's nothing these teachers do more or appreciate more than, than uh, in, encouraging parents to get their kids on Adderall. Or some other anxiety um, medicine, uh, a prescription medication, and that started the trajectory for a, a very dear friend of mine. Um, his his son, that was his introduction to uh, to drugs. It started in school. Uh, the teachers for years, they, the parents resisted putting them on, and then finally they they acquiesced. And he started on the Adderall. It, that quickly escalated to all the kids um, crushing it, snorting it. And and led to led him down a path of of um, addiction. He same thing. He went to rehab. This is a you know an upper middle class family, uh, loving family, and 
during uh, COVID, he lost his job. He was depressed. He was despondent. He went on social media and ordered from his drug dealer, who lives in a upper middle class Naperville, um, sent him over ketamine, what he thought was ketamine, and it was fentanyl. He died instantly. They found him dead, um, I think, a day or two later at 23 years old. And it, as horrible as it is that this kid was poisoned and murdered, the family then had to encourage the police department. They had to fight with the police department for years to treat it as what it was, a murder. This kid was murdered. They had text messages. They knew where the drug came from. And it took years before they even went after the drug dealer. So this country does not, we are not a serious country. We don't take this seriously. We are completely ignoring the danger in our homes, in our public school system, everywhere. And it's, it, this is a much bigger issue than anybody realizes. It does not get the attention it deserves. Maybe now that this mom has garnered so much attention i mean there are I, there are hundreds of thousands of families now who have have uh dealt with this horrible horrible poisoning of their children these are young kids i've seen 13 year old children who have died from this and there yeah. are these drug dealers have gotten they're very savvy they make they make it look like a, a you know like a regular pill they're right. also they finding do. ways to lace they're making it look like, uh, or they're finding ways to lace cannabis with it as well. Well, their Tina, marijuana Tina, market Tina. dried up, so now they're doing fentanyl. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Tina. Appreciate it. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. These COVIDians are uh, a rare breed, aren't they? I mean, they're maskaholics, really. Well, among other things, uh, the uh, administration, uh-huh. you know, the one headed by Mr. 10%, the big guy, President Biden, is still still sticking to the no intelligence a community consensus on the Wuhan lab leak. This after the Department of Energy report over the weekend, okay. citing new intelligence that they believe conclusively indicates that the virus leaked from the Wuhan virology lab. And then Christopher Ray, FBI director, sitting down with Brett Baer a couple of days later and saying, oh, yeah, that's what we always thought. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's not what John Kirby thinks, everybody thinks. He was pressed on the matter again yesterday by Fox's Peter Ducey. The FBI director saying most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. If, if a foreign country came to the United States and killed 1.1 million Americans with guns, would the president just let that slide? Nobody's letting anything slide. That's why the president wants the intelligence community to work so hard to, to get to, hopefully, to get some, to some answers that, uh, that we can rely on. Right now, there's just no consensus. But why are they trying to walk it back? I don't know. 312-642-5600, Turnkey Depro answer line, 646-36-DA, Turnkey Depro. It was, a, it was wonderful phrasing by Ducey. 
to put it in real context, sort of like that uh, Michigan mom talking about if you had uh, America's enemies uh, pointing guns, coming over, you know, with guns to kill Americans as opposed to doing it by getting fentanyl into circulation here. Would you do something about it? Of course you would, because it can be seen. Um, but if it's unseen, then we don't have to address it. We can stick to our ideological posture. And as I said uh, in our conversation with Jim Carafano about this on uh, or maybe it was Gordon Chang, one of the two, or maybe both. On Monday, the only administration less interested in the confirmation this was a Wuhan virology lab leak than the Chinese communist regime, Chinese communist government, is the United States government. Why? Because of exactly what Ducey implicates in this question. If you confirm that it was a lab leak, and whether it was inadvertent or purposeful, it was covered up, then... Obviously, the Chinese communist government has blood on their hands to the tune of millions and not just Americans. And so that prompts some action, doesn't it? And this is an administration that wants to take action against the Chinese communists. I mean, just to uh, refresh here <laughs> with this, and I wish somebody would present uh, the statements from medical professionals too, like Marty. Ma uh, Macari, Dr. Marty Macari from Johns Hopkins, who, uh, along with Jay Bhattacharya and Mountain Kaldorf, provided some really invaluable testimony to the House Select Committee on COVID earlier in the week. We talked to Martin Kaldorf about it yesterday, a professor from Harvard. Marty Macari, during his testimony on the Wuhan lab leak. So this predates the Q&A between Ducey and Kirby yesterday, and it should have been put to Kirby in no uncertain terms. This is a no-brainer, John Kirby. The reason this is even an issue is that it's embarrassing we funded the lab. If we had not funded the lab, 100% of Americans would say this is obvious, this is a no-brainer. The epicenter of the world is five miles from one of the only high-level virology labs in China. The doctors initially were arrested and forced to sign uh, non-disclosure gag documents. The lab reports have been destroyed. They've not been turned over. The sequences reported from the lab to the NIH database were deleted by a request from Chinese scientists that called over early on and said, delete those sequences we put in the database. And two leading virologists, maybe the two um, top virologists in the United States, Dr. Michael Farzan from Scripps and Dr. Robert Gary from Tulane, told Dr. Fauci on his emergency call in January of 2020 when he was scrambling soon after learning that the NIH was funding the lab, they both said that it was likely from the lab. Both scientists changed their tunes days later in the media, and then both scientists received $9 million subsequent in funding from the NIH. It's a no-brainer that it came from the lab. I mean, at this point... It's impossible to acquire any more information, and if you did, it would only be affirmative. But instead, you have John Kirby playing the role of uh, Lieutenant Frank Drebin standing in front of the exploding fireworks factory and saying there's nothing to see here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really something to behold. And the other point that Macari makes, which is why they don't want to acknowledge the lab leak, is because, as you just said there, back in January of 2020, then that 
it's not just doesn't just implicate the Chinese communists. It implicates the public health establishment, people like Tony Fauci, for providing funding to the Wuhan Virology Lab. Right. Right. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You could also text us at six four six three six. Type in DA then a quick comment. You see, I mean, the, this administration wants to move past all of this ugliness. They don't want to talk about COVID anymore. Just go get your shots. We're done with that. Go get your shots. Um, they don't want to talk about COVID. Uh, he doesn't want to talk about East Palestine. He doesn't want to talk about fentanyl. It's, these are these are complications. These are not they're, um, they're nuisances. Well, exactly, and they're not politically advantageous to us. Oh, okay. So why do we want to spend time doing that? In, in point of fact, they're politically dangerous to us. Now I have to confront the Chinese communists over the. Um, the, the, the manslaughter at minimum of millions of people in, in America and worldwide. Now I've got to, to bring the sainted Tony Fauci forward and have him do some splaining about why we were funding the virology lab after and, and why they were doing gain of function research. And to Rand Paul after he spent years denying anything like that was occurring. I mean, it's just. It's a problem. So what do you do? You say, oh, there's no consensus in the intelligence community. We're just waiting for consensus. So we're dogged. We're dogged and we're doing the work to try to generate the consensus. Uh, but, but President Biden is, you know, dispatched and, and directed. We, we want to find the answer. We just haven't found it yet. <laughs> really. And again, as the journal editorial board pointed out, since when is there, you know, a unanimity among the intelligence community about anything? You make best guesses and you couch those best guesses and you say, based on everything we know, no, there's nothing is 100 percent certain, but it is more likely than not. Or in this case, to borrow from Dr. Macri, a no brainer that this was a lab leak as the source, the origination. Somebody tell uh, NBC or NBC's Richard Engel that. They, are they going to mainstream media going to walk it back? Because they were selling me a line of bull jive. Oh, and yeah. All, no. all the American people. Remember, I'm like, no, Dan, it came from bat. Oh, Richard he, Engel said it did. He, this is this is the, the, the hilarious op ed of the week. The what? Chicago Tribune, no less. Yeah, they still have an editorial page. I know no one really pays attention. How an ideologically blinded media failed to take the COVID-19 lab leak theory seriously. That's an, the, the huh? title of a Chicago Tribune editorial. You could take that first part of that headline how an ideologically blinded media failed to take fill in the blank and you could do a different topic every day for the next decade COVID amnesty i don't think so but so in lieu of having wanting to address this or wanting to get an answer or wanting to admit what the truth is you have Spokesbeings come out and propagate, dare I say, misinformation. Oh, my gosh. It's not just me saying it, by the way. More Dr. Macri from earlier in this week. This is good. The greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. Misinformation that COVID was spread through surface transmission, that vaccinated immunity was far greater than natural immunity, that masks were effective. Now we have the definitive Cochrane review. What do you do with that review? 
Cochrane is the most authoritative evidence body in all of medicine and has been for decades. Do you just ignore it, not talk about it? Yes. That myocarditis was more common after the infection than the vaccine. Not true. It's 4 to 28 times more common after the the vaccine. That young people benefit from a booster. Misinformation. Our two top experts on vaccines quit the FDA in protest over this particular issue, pushing boosters in young, healthy people. The data was never there. That's why the CDC never disclosed hospitalization rates among boosted Americans under age 50. The vaccine mandates would increase vaccination rates. The George uh, Mason University study shows it didn't. It did one thing. It created never-vaxxers who are now not getting the childhood vaccines they need to get. Over and over again, we've seen something that goes far beyond using your best judgment with the information at hand. We've seen something which is unforgivable, and that is the weaponization of medical research itself. The CDC putting out their own shoddy studies, like their own study on natural immunity, looking at one state for two months, when they had data for years on all 50 states. Why did they only report that one sliver of data? Why did they salami slice the giant database? Because it gave them the result they wanted. Same with masking study. Well, the data has now caught up in giant systematic reviews, and the public health officials were intellectually dishonest. They lied to the American people. Thank you. I want to strap a speaker to me and have those two sound bites be playing constantly as I walk yeah. down the streets of Chicago. Yeah, well, I mean, and so they were wrong about virtually everything. And so do they want to have an accounting? Do they want to do a postmortem about all the things they were wrong about? All the things Marty McCurry just ticked off? No, of course they don't. And that would include the lab leak. No consensus. I, I got, du- dueling yeah. studies. Um, just so you know, I just have to get this off my chest. Uh, San Francisco just ended their mask mandate. Yeah. On February, a few days ago. But they still have a moratorium on eviction. So one lady, she doesn't get paid rent in three years. She's owed $120,000. But the city, the mayor of San Francisco still has a proclamation of emergency in place. So they still don't have to pay rent. Mm-hmm. Phil Tinley Park. Yeah, hey, Amy, I heard you say, why Why are they walking it back? And it is the politicians, but we're leaving a big player in this out, and that's every corporation. Talk to every CEO, any board of directors, which themselves have sometimes members of the CCP on them, chambers of commerce. They're, they're delusional. They're still, why is Ford starting out a whole new plant, for instance, battery plant in china they're going the opposite way of everybody else even when both political parties at least you know one's making louder noises than the other about it but they both are so you got to take that into consideration yeah sure that's right that's a good point corporate interests um and um, um elon musk who's had a relationship with the chinese communists Elon Musk complicated, um, but uh, he uh, he was warned by the CCP earlier this week for sharing the uh, Wuhan leak, Wuhan lab leak report. Oh, you want to do business over here? You want a Tesla plant over here or battery plant over here? Better be careful. 
Don't make John, us look bad. John in Cherville. Yes, uh, Dan and Amy, great job as usual. I just have one question on the two physicians that uh, uh, that that got $9 million, which is my favorite number. Did they ever receive money before from the NIH or CDC, uh, or was this like their first time of uh, cashing in? Um, thanks for the call, John. I, I, I think they were, and their uh, institutions they represent were um, uh, consistent recipients of, of funding, but that's the point. Is that Tony Fauci had, you know, forty billion dollar budget, and um, that wields a lot of influence for these academics at academic institutions. So you don't want to be on the wrong side of that, right? I mean, meanwhile, what they were focused on—a good piece by uh, uh, John Saylor over the National Association of Scholars, for example, NIH. 2020, the NIH created the Faculty Institutional Recruitment for Sustainable Transformation Program. It's a catchy title. To enhance and maintain cultures of inclusive excellence in the biomedical research community. In other words, they gave 12 uh, institutions $250 million over nine years for diversity diversity focused faculty hiring. That's their priority, you see. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. You've made the switch. And it feels so good. You've switched to Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, when FBI Director Chris Wray sat down with her friend Brett Baer earlier in the week, he was asked about the uh, SEAL Team 6 quality raid on Mark Houck's house in rural Pennsylvania. This was, again, the gentleman, the case we've talked about several times now, who was uh, uh, arrested and prosecuted for a violation of the FACE Act because of a little contretemps he got in to with a Planned Parenthood ghoul outside of Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia where he pushed him away from his son after Mark Houck said, don't address my adolescent son. If you have something to say, you address me. He wouldn't stop harassing them. And Houck pushed him away. Local prosecutors declined. Uh, private suits were dismissed. Uh, Planned Parenthood even, I think, eliminated the guy as a docent to the mill because that was not his first incident of not following Planned Parenthood protocol. But nonetheless, Merrick Garland came in over the top. Oh, yeah. And it took the jury less than an hour to acquit him. Oh, and it uh, was in spite of the fact that his attorneys, Mark Houck's attorneys. Said he'd turn himself in, right? Right. Oh, no, they had to come in with guns a-blazing. Amphibious vehicles, choppers, SUVs, guns pointed. SWAT gear, yeah. Christopher Ray had this to say in response to that decision. That decision, to use that force, was that by the book? So there's a whole lot of things that goes into the judgment about what is the way to conduct uh, arrests safely and securely that are made, I think, appropriately by the career agents on the ground who have the closest visibility to the circumstances. Oh, really? 
Oh, we defer to the career agents on the ground. It's not the brass making those calls. Yeah, we had nothing to do with it. We're right? just rubber stamping what the career agents who have the best visibility on the ground say. Oh, really? Hmm. Then um, maybe in a follow-up interview, Brett Bear can ask about this Amazon Post story. According to the, well, I guess some people still call it the Washington Post, FBI officials and the DOJ clashed, clashed fiercely over how to handle recovering suspected classified documents from Trump, with FBI agents arguing for a cooperative approach and the DOJ pushing for the unprecedented raid on Trump's home. What, what happened to the deference to the career agents on the ground with the most visibility? Chris? Merrick, for more on this, please to be joined by our friend Andy McCarthy. He's a contributing editor at National Review. He's the best-selling author of Ball of Collusion, and he also has a former chief U.S. assistant U.S. attorney in Manhattan. Andy, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Happy Friday. Um, yeah, can you help uh, square the circle for me? I'm puzzled. Well, I think we're um, – this term career agents I think is something that we ought to be uh, looking at with a lot more skepticism since it's something that gets thrown around all the time. I would just ask people, who do you think gets promoted up the chain in the FBI and in the, um, and in the Justice Department? You know, I, I thought when I was a prosecutor, you know, there were really good agents and there was a certain kind of FBI type that, um, you know, was a sort of don't rock the boat, uh, understand what the bosses want and give them what they want and do everything by their book, uh, even when it means, you know, bucking common sense and bucking what, uh, you know, good prosecutors and good agents wanted. And those were the guys who tended to get promoted up the chain. So I think what we have to understand here is that every agency has an ethos, which is set from the top. And the fact that decisions are being made closer to the ground doesn't mean that they reflect that they don't reflect what the bosses want. The way you move up the chain in the FBI is to do what the brass wants. So that's the first thing. And I think the second thing, Dan, is um, the Justice Department under Garland, I don't think, looks at the Hope case as a loss the same way that the. Uh, SEC, for example, doesn't look at the, uh, you know, five or six cases that it's recently, you know, have been laughed out of court that they brought as losses because, you know, we're thinking of them as losses because, you know, in the, in the final scorebook, they go down as a loss. But to these people, the process, which they always make more and more uh, complex and arduous, is the penalty. Mm-hmm. So the outcome almost doesn't make any difference. What they're looking to do is create an interorum effect that tells everybody out there, if you dare engage in this kind of behavior, this is what's coming your way. It's the bottom line. If they get an acquittal, you know, so what? They still, you know, scared the bejesus out of everybody who would, you know, be thinking of engaging in this behavior. And just like every corporation in America knows that if it tries to, if it even thinks about trying to merge uh, and increase its value, uh, it better have a king's ransom set aside for legal fees because the Justice Department's coming. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, um, how did you uh, receive Merrick Garland's explanation about the lack of prosecutions 
for people who have committed violent acts against pregnancy care centers and Catholic churches as compared to uh, the number of prosecutions of people uh, praying or, or even engaged in illegal activity outside of abortion mills. He essentially said, well, um, the cases involving the abortion mills are easier because um, those acts were committed in the daylight and then these uh, fire bombings and other vandalism threats against pregnancy care centers and Catholic churches, a lot of that's done at night. So I guess the, the, the message is that, you know, if you're going to commit a crime and you want to avoid DOJ scrutiny, then, you know, do it in the dark. Yeah. When I, I have to say, when I was a prosecutor, we thought, um, um, you know, we didn't we didn't hang out a clothes sign when the sun went down. Um, so. I'm a, I'm a little bit puzzled by I'm not really puzzled by anything uh, the attorney general says. I mean, I, I think one thing we've seen since uh, he's been in is that, uh, you know, his, his testimony is always borderline preposterous. He delivers it with a, a kind of a very civil uh, tone, very understated. He's uh, unfailingly polite uh, and, you know, therefore he gets away with a lot, but when you read the transcript of what he said, just like when you listen to it, um, it's not uh, it's not sensible. I don't I didn't think those answers were uh, very convincing. They weren't convincing at all. He also um, was he I, also know, he also was very outraged. He's just as upset as Josh Howley is about uh, the memo that came out of the Richmond FBI office uh, looking to target Catholics who go to Latin Mass because the Southern Poverty Law Center says they could be associated with right-wing extremism. He's outraged about that because they have a rule. I didn't know this. At the Department of Justice, they have a rule where we don't investigate things that would be violative uh, of people's First Amendment rights. Why do you need a rule at the Department of Justice? What's the First Amendment for? Yeah, not only that, but it's it's embedded in federal law. If you remember when the when the Patriot Act came out years ago, I keep believe this is almost a quarter century ago now, but um, almost every provision in that act says explicitly that First Amendment protected activity by itself cannot be the premise for an investigation. So it's very easy for you know the attorney general to to come out with the mock outrage. But I would simply point out that um, you know when America's parents were being uh, investigated by the FBI under a domestic terrorism threat tag that the FBI conjured up. That was on the basis of a memo from none other than Merrick Garland um, after, you know, a, basically a concocted partisan exercise between the Biden White House and some, uh, you know, left wing ideologues. They sent Garland a memo and then Garland sent U.S. attorneys and the FBI memo, and the next thing you know, they were out uh, treating parents as suspects for protesting at their home. So I'm sure Garland is very upset about these memos, but I think he's more upset that they've been publicized than the yeah. fact that they exist. More upset, to, more upset, more upset that people look at the FBI as a hate organization, like me. <laughs> well, you know, look, the, the FBI seems to be. I, I have a lot of affection for a lot of people in the FBI, but. They seem in the last 10 years in particular to be living down to everybody's worst. So, Mr. McCarthy, uh, we're learning this morning that uh, President Trump can be sued by police officers who were injured on January 6th. The DOJ just gave the green light to that. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, it's not just police officers. It's congressional Democrats as well. Oh, yeah. Some of the most partisan Democrats 
um, you know, rabid Andy Trumpers, uh, Eric Swalwell and uh, Barbara Lee and Maxine Waters, they were all plaintiffs in the case. And I, I was very amused to see that the uh, in the brief, the Justice Department uh, sort of dryly says, uh, Benny Thompson was a plaintiff, but he dropped his claims without, you know, with prejudice. And what they don't say is the reason he did that was because he would have otherwise been disqualified from his star turn as chairman of the January, January 6th, 6th committee, right. which, you know, turned around and made a finding that Trump had committed incitement to insurrection under circumstances where after two and a half years, the Justice Department hasn't charged anyone with insurrection and hasn't charged Trump with incitement of anything or with any crime to this point. So it's it's astounding for the as a legal matter, it's astounding for the Justice Department to take the position they took. But again, whenever there's a choice between law and politics, the, the Biden Justice Department under Merrick Garland goes with politics. And what they know is if they came out and said, we can't charge Trump with incitement because the case would get laughed out of court. There would be mutiny in the Democratic base. So they figured out a way to say, even though we've cho- we haven't charged it because we don't have evidence of it, right. uh, there's no reason why a case alleging it shouldn't go forward. Yeah, and that's what we call justice in the justice system or justice in America now. That this is this is of the order of of uh the, the soviets uh, show me the man and i'll show you the crime that's what that's what we have yeah. here well it's and it's an, again dan it's the process is the penalty you know i mean yeah they haven't really i'm not uh, you know i'm i always feel like i have to say i'm not here being trump's lawyer but you know they are trying and there may be things that he's done that that he'll ultimately be charged with that'll stick we'll see but you know they are trying to bleed him with process and I would note that um, most of the prosecutorial positions in the United States uh, at the state level are elected positions. And a lot of these progressive prosecutors and state attorneys general are seeking office on the premise that they'll use their power to go after Trump as an electoral electoral election issue, which is very popular in, in Democratic cities. So, you know, again, they're, they're trying to bludgeon him with process. Uh, right. And I don't see that that's going to stop. Right. At the federal and state level, as we know. And uh, speaking of uh, star turns, the uh, the jury four person uh, there in Georgia, uh, sort of an amateur David Copperfield, I understand. She was having fun talking about what she thought she could talk about on uh, the cable news shows. Um, and she certainly is hopeful that uh, something will occur like uh, prosecutions that the special grand jury recommended. Uh, how did you react to what came out of that special grand jury and what's your um, what's your feel in terms of what's going to happen in the state of Georgia? Well, you know, I think she's an oddball. I thought it was, um, you know, it's a, it, look, a grand jury is a very human thing. And, you know, a group of 24 people, you have somebody who decides that, uh, you know, she wants to have her 15 minutes of fame. Uh, I thought it was worse that the judge, instead of uh, condemning what she had done, which was compromising grand jury secrecy. I mean, even, you know, former Democratic, former federal prosecutors who want to see Trump get get charged uh, were out there publicly saying, my God, what is she doing? She's destroying the case. So, you know, it was clear that what she did was terrible. And the judge came out and said it really wasn't any big deal, which kind of encourages other grand jurors to do it. we know from what she says that that special grand jury has recommended 
a variety of charges. And it's clear from what she said that Trump is at the top of the list that they've recommended to be charged. She didn't come out and say that, but she as much as said it. Um, What people ought to know is the way Georgia law works. I've had to get edgy. I'm not an expert on Georgia law, so I've had to get sort of up to speed on it like everyone else. But that grand jury is only allowed to recommend charges. It's a special grand jury under Georgia law. They do investigations and then they make recommendations. Now it's up to the district attorney, who is a partisan Democrat named Fannie Willis, to decide whether she wants to go to regular grand juries and seek charges, which she hasn't done so far, but I anticipate she probably will at some point. I imagine she's also working behind the scenes with the Justice Department to coordinate, like, are is DOJ going to charge Trump? If they are, what are they going to charge him with? And if so, who should go first, Georgia or DOJ? So all that has to be worked out. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, one star turn on the left deserves another. I'm sure that Fulton County DA is looking for her star turn, too. Maybe she can parlay it into a run for governor or something in the state of Georgia, Senate, something. Well, maybe not Senate, since there's two Dems, but, um, yeah, maybe, you know, something. That's that's what this is all yeah. about. This is That's what that's what the, the, the justice system is, it seems to me, for many of these actors who wield significant power. This is just about what do I need to do? to get on the up the next rung of the ladder to curry favor to generate publicity the um pursuit of the truth and the uh and and lady justice being blind and the even-handed administration of the law those things seem out the window and i i don't think i'm the only one who feels that and go ahead and do what you're going to do with trump and i hope they've properly calibrated what the reaction is going to be yeah i don't know if they have but i i would say this the the power that they wield depends on the public's acceptance that the Justice Department isn't a rigged game and that the justice system isn't a rigged game. And the minute that it, it the people become convinced that it is, uh, that power is not going to be what it once was. Uh, and, you know, the, my first rule of politics, like a number of other people's, is what goes around comes around. So, mm-hmm. you know. These people can abuse their power now, um, but they'll be recompensed for it. Andy McCarthy, oh, former chief, former chief assistant U.S. attorney in Manhattan, contributor at National Review, author of the bestseller Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. Andy, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Thanks, you too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. What is going on just north of the Cheddar Curtain there in Kenosha, Wisconsin? School board election. Eric Meadows wins a three-year term on the school board at Kenosha Unified. Then his victory is vacated. And then he's appointed to a one-year term. <laughs> Enough to make your head spin. What's going on in Kenosha? It's a fascinating story to tell us more about it. Pleased to be joined by Eric Meadows, who's a Kenosha school board member for now. I don't know. Maybe they'll rescind it again. <laughs> uh, Eric Hartle is, w- is with him as well. He's a special counsel for the Thomas More Society. Eric and Eric, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. 
Uh, all right, Eric. So um, explain how uh, you were elected, vacated, appointed, and what comes next. Yeah, like you said, my head's spinning about the whole ordeal. So I was elected to a three-year term uh, almost a year ago now, last spring. Uh, the the election was noticed to be a three-year election, and that's what people voted on. They voted on a three-year election. What was discovered by the Wisconsin Election Commission about a year later, so just about a, a few weeks ago, was that a former board member who stepped down um, caused some confusion, and they've determined that uh, I am technically, according to them, finishing up his term, which ends in April of this year. So I was told that I have to vacate my seat because the term is up and because it was too late for me to get on the ballot for the spring again, they decided they were going to hold an appointment process and they appointed me uh, to a one year term. Uh, that happened just last week. But so but, but but I understand that you're not satisfied with that because, well, because oh, absolutely you, not. <laughs> you were elected to a three year term by the people. Exactly right. Yeah, I, I think. There were there were a lot of options that uh, the Elections Commission and the and the Kenosha Unified School District could have done to fix the situation. My, my priority is to uh, consider the voter intent. The voters were were voting for a three year term and that's what they should get. If they have to change up the rotation somehow, do that after I'm done with my three year term. So how did that's the, what that's yeah. what okay. what I'm fighting for. Okay. Yeah. So how did the special counsel for the Thomas More Society get involved? Well, I've got a lot of good contacts here in Kenosha, and one of them put me in contact with Eric Cardall from the Thomas More Society. Uh, and we, we had a phone call and we talked about it, and they decided this is an ideal case for them to represent uh, voter integrity. Because Eric, uh, Eric Cardall, uh, jump in here, too, because what the school board initially did by vacating his election, uh, it doesn't have basis in law is the argument, right? Uh, that's right. In Wisconsin, there's actually a statute called the Quo Warranto statute. I'm very mm -hmm. familiar with these actions. And Quo Warranto means by what authority is the government doing this? And since uh, Eric Meadows was elected to a three-year term, then the school board doesn't have the authority to vacate his office and appoint someone else. So it's a very important election integrity case, and that's why it's garnered a lot of attention. And Thomas More Society is a, a national law firm that does election integrity as well as its other areas. It's headquartered in Chicago, a venerable Chicago institution, and just doing great, fantastic election integrity litigation, principally in the, the swing states of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Yeah, oh yeah, we're very familiar with Tom Brucka and Peter Breen and the Thomas More Society as well, so it's good to know they're doing work in Wisconsin uh, in addition. But I, I'm still a little confused. You won an election, and then you had to get appointed for to your seat so what what's the justification to go through an appointment process by which there was another candidate right. that they considered for the appointment but you you won an election i mean even if you want to take the position that you won an election for one year so it should be a one-year term um even if you want to take that position well well the, there's there's no thinking that says, well, he we're going to appoint him to a seat that he won after we removed him from that seat. I, I just I don't even understand what the rationale for the appointment process is. <laughs> it's it's a little bizarre. Yeah, there's there's a KUSD or Kenosha Unified School Board policy that talks about what happens if a seat is suddenly vacant, if somebody retires or they're vacated for some reason. 
they they are supposed to open it up to the community for people to apply for the position essentially where the board will then vote on who that person would be so in their mind i think they they realized there was a problem with the election and they were doing what they thought was best by reappointing me to my seat that i never voluntarily vacated and that's part of the confusion i think is they think i'm vacating my seat but i've never voluntarily done any of that are they well, doing this to any other board members? Uh, wait, say that again. Are they doing I mean, that to they, any other board members? Yeah. Are they anybody else that was elected along with you? There were there were uh, two other people that were elected at the same time, right. and they're not having to vacate their seat. They, they selected me because I came in uh, third place of the three seats. Oh. So the other two that were elected get to keep their three-year term. And, and Right. So, so all three of you were running under the banner of three-year term. But as Correct. I understand it, the, the it, there was this uh, it should have been a one year term for the third place finisher. That's what they're arguing. Well, that's what it was supposed to be. Right. And it was a clerical error. That's what they're arguing. Yeah, I don't accept it, that. It, but that's what they're arguing. OK. Um, and yeah. So, and the law, the, the go, law isn't clear about that either. The law is that it basically says, you know, as near as practicable, that the terms will be staggered. So they could have just waited till after his three year term and then elect someone for a one year term. So that's what gets into by what authority does a school district, uh, you know, displace a, a school board member who's elected further. You know, uh, Eric Meadows is a just a prototype of a, just a great school board member. And he's a he's a critic of school board policies. And so it seems like this was obviously politically motivated. When we filed, the, we threatened the lawsuit, filed the cease and desist letter. That's when they appointed Eric for the one year term. So they switched their position after we got all the attention on Fox and Friends and so forth. Right, right, yeah. And as I understand, the the sort of partisan makeup of the board is like super majority left, right? Yeah, yeah essentially. There's, there's two strong the, conservatives. Eric on the board. Yeah, right here. yeah, there's two strong conservatives on the board. There's kind of one swing vote and the rest are very left-leaning. So it's a majority is left. And but I mean, the the whole thing is like the, we have this policy if if a board member vacates a seat, but or is, the seat is vacated, but they vacated a seat because of a clerical error, uh, despite the fact that the people supported him. So, I mean, that 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 clearly could not have been the intent of that board policy is that the board can vacate somebody that's duly elected if somebody else makes an error on the ballot. That's that's exactly right. The policy states what happens if a seat is vacated, but it doesn't grant them authority to vacate a seat, uh-huh. if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. That's an important distinction. And yeah. I also I also just in terms of the politicization of this, in case people say, oh, you know, you're just assuming and this and that. Well, there's some evidence to support that this is uh, hyper political because of here we go. Board policy again. There was uh, a bit of a a brouhaha at the school board meeting uh, among supporters of yours who had signs like saying whatever appoint uh, or Eric Meadows one or whatever they said, basically just supporting you with signage. Um, and that was a violation of board policy because that was political, but it's okay for the school to fly the BLM or LGBTQ flags because that's not political. Yeah, there's there's some un, unequal enforcement of this, this policy. Yeah. The, the board, scheduled a meeting to appoint my replacement uh a lot of people from the community are upset and showed up with like you said signs with my name on them uh the board president decided that she wasn't willing to start the meeting because these signs were deemed political by her uh, and they ended up canceling the meeting and scheduling it for several days later virtual only 
Well, why don't they like you? Well, I, I, I was elected to be a, a change agent to the district. There's a, a huge segment in, in the country in general, in Kenosha in particular, of parents that are fed up. They're tired of being ignored by our schools. They want change. So I was elected in this wave of parents' rights uh, groups all over the country to, to change how we view schools, to change how schools function, to allow parents to have the rights to direct the, the education of their children. What's going on within the uh, Kenosha Schools District? I mean, are there specific examples in the area of curriculum that uh, are being debated or in the, the area of sort of administrative policy with respect to, identity? you know, that's identity politics and orientation? Yeah, there. as soon as I got elected a year ago, I started hearing uh, from parents and families about concerns of uh, one-sided political indoctrination that's happening in schools. Uh, there's there's a lot of parents that are upset about that, and uh, many of them have decided to un- unenroll their students in the district because they don't trust the district's going to val- value their their way of seeing the world. Uh, so I started working uh, with the other board members to say we need to clarify this this policy that we have that prohibits political signage in schools. Uh, there's considerable debate that's happened about what political signage actually means. It means different things to different people. Uh, to me, which proves that there needs to be some clarification there. Right. Uh, your name is a political sign. Uh, BLM is not a political flag. No, I got it. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so um, where does the case stand for you to uh, to serve the three-year term you were elected by the people to serve? Well, we're we're starting the litigation process against the district to force them to allow me to uh, finish my three-year term. So that's a work in progress right now. All right. Eric Meadows is a Kenosha school board member for yeah. a year, for three years. We don't know. Well, we'll be in touch. Uh, <laughs> but we'll be watching this. Yeah. Uh, Eric Meadows, Kenosha school board member. Eric Cardle, special counsel for the Thomas More Society, representing Eric Meadows in this imbroglio that we've been describing. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. And he, they both joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, we uh, talked a bit about uh, a couple of the latest examples of the totalitarian purge of literature. The uh, British report on uh, 1984, George Orwell, uh, George Orwell generally, not just 1984, C.S. Lewis. These are dangerous people uh, who could, through their works, even though they're no longer with us, but through their works could foment right-wing extremism. So we probably need to get rid of their works. We talked about uh, the uh, celebrated children's book author Roald Dahl's books being uh, reviewed by a sensitivity team to update some of the language for the kiddies. So it's you know comports with the identitarian zeitgeist of the day. And well, did we, you see what the AP is doing? 
they're never they're not going to capitalize the word white anymore. They're going to capitalize the word black, but they're not. They said they consulted a wide group of people internally and externally, Dan, around the globe and considered a variety of commentary in making these decisions. So the lowercase white is going to be used in racial, ethnic and cultural senses. Well, it's a weighty decision, and I'm just glad they did proper due diligence because uh, I'm very satisfied because it sounds like the process was robust, and that's that's what's important. I wonder if Joe Ross Barrett was involved. Uh, Joe Ross Barrett is the project manager in charge of the review of Roald Dahl's children's books to make sure they're properly sensitive. Uh, Joe Ross Barrett describes herself as, I'm quoting, a non-binary, asexual, polyamorous relationship anarchist who is on the autism spectrum. That's a bunch of gobbledygook. I have no idea what that means. She uh, uses they/them pronouns, uh, which won't surprise you. So I, I'm sure that Roald Dahl's books will be eminently more inclusive after she gets done with them, and uh, you know, more fitting for the time, so that no child may be offended, and all children can be properly indoctrinated into the gender ideology of the left. For more on this uh, cleanup of the English language, pleased to be joined again by our friend Lionel Shriver, contributor to The Spectator, best-selling author of We Need to Talk About Kevin, and most recently, Abominations, selected essays from a career of courting self-destruction. Lionel, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Always nice to talk to you. Well, um, you know, if it's... Uh, good enough for the asexual polyamorous non-binary set then it's good enough for us uh, you wrote a piece <laughs> recently uh, the words actually worth banning and of course you don't mean by government diktat but um, we just the, these these phrases and words that we use that we really should stop using well um, having become a little weary of being told which words I can and cannot use uh, by the other side, uh, my column goes back at them and says, okay, well, here's a list of words that I can't stand, and you can't <laughs> use them anymore. <laughs> um, and, you know, one of the most irksome aspects of the left for me is their grotesque use of language. Um it's a very jargon-ridden movement. And, uh, for example, the suddenly uh, everyone starts talking about uh, not uh, b um, black people and Asians, but black and brown bodies. And for some reason this is supposed to be dignifying. To me it's dehumanizing. It's grotesque. Um, why on earth would you talk about yourself as a body? A, a body can be a corpse. Um, a person is is a, a sentient being, and uh, and that other expression of people who look like me. You hear this all the time when um, oh, yeah. <laughs> when students are are arguing that uh, the uh, the curriculum has to be decolonized, um, and so they want to be reading books by people who look like them. And it's just, I, I mean, to me, it's, it's wordy, it's babyish. <laughs> it's, um, it's just a way of referring to your own race, uh, which is kind of roundabout and coy. Uh, 
Yeah, people and, who. And one I, of the I, irritating I, things about all these expressions is, is they all copy each other and they all use them in lockstep. So they all sound the same. Well, it's sentient beings, but not, perhaps not sapient beings, and there's the disconnect. But yeah, the, the people who look like me, right, uh, Denzel Washington and Oprah Winfrey, uh, they look like each other. Um, I, it, it, that's a, that's a, a great phrase. Also, too, and I know you cover this, community. Everybody is oh, part of community. Everybody's part of a, a community based on, again, non-behavioral uh, common characteristics. I would say everyone's in a community aside from white people. Well, right, you never hear about the white community. No. There's no such thing. Right. Um, but uh, I'm I in a white liberal this. community. <laughs> yeah, possibly, but never the white community in the same way that you hear about the black community all the time. They're not a community. Um, they, uh, they, they don't have that much in common. Um, they they live in very very different places. They have many different socioeconomic statuses. The the I I think that this this is a false unity, and it, it also seems to convey a sort of warmth and togetherness and common purpose that that racial groups simply do not enjoy. I think the uh, dehumanizing, that, that's the key word. All of this, I mean, and you, you mentioned a couple other examples, too, in the sort of the gender space, right? It's not men and women. It's uh, egg producers and sperm producers. Oh, yeah, that's the latest one. Um, and it is, it, you know, I, I find that as a female person, um, I get deeply offended in a way that really surprises me because I don't get easily offended. I don't make a career of being offended like most people. But to be called a an egg producer or a birthing person, um, it's, it's, it's obnoxious, you know. Uh, people who have a cervix, that's big in the National Health Service in, in Britain. <laughs> oh, and yeah. it, it, you know, it, it reduces women to body parts, and and also it has an almost, um, uh, you know, it, it it it's almost dystopian. You know, you know um, I, is it is it just for breeding machines? Right. Yeah. Is is it just obnoxious, or is it something more pernicious than that? I I'm I'm always wants to refer to. Emerson, who said uh, first man is first the language is corrupted and then man is corrupted. Is there something more important than just being just like eye rolling to some of this stuff? Because there's something really pernicious about this, isn't there? Oh, it, it definitely has a sinister side. Um, the intention is to erase biological sex as a reality. So we're no longer supposed to believe that human beings come into sexes that are identified and identifiable when you're born, in fact, even before you're born. So that's just fallacious. Um, we don't know what sex you are until you tell us which one you think you are. Sex is being reduced to an interior feeling, and it has nothing to do with your genitals or, for that matter, your DNA. And this is just a flagrant factual lie and uh and not a matter of opinion 
a lot of the left's positions are a matter of opinion. This is not opinion. This is physical, external reality that the left is now determined to cancel, if you will. Every, everyone's also, uh, who, everyone in a community is also part of a marginalized community. Oh, that's right. But you do know that they've got a new word for it. What? Please, up, let me this, update my vocabulary. It used to be marginalized. Now, now it's minoritized. Minoritized. <laughs> minoritized. As if some, some death ray has made them tiny. Because <laughs> um, like it implies a, yeah. you know, an agent of some sort has made them into a minority in a mean way. And it, it, it's, I don't know where this came from. I don't know who it start, who started it, but it's spreading like wildfire, minoritized. Well, and of course the uh, the the predicate of using this. Uh, phraseology is to make claims, right? So because I'm marginalized or now minoritized, um, I am owed certain things from those who minoritized me, according to me. Yes, of course. I mean, that there's an implied um, evil, evil party that has been doing the marginalizing or the minoritizing. And when you are conned into using these expressions, you are implicitly also conned into advocating a perspective. And that is the purpose of this language as much as anything. It is to, first off, it's to signal to fellow travelers that you're one of them, but it's also to to, to use this language is, is to advocate for, uh, for left-wing causes and for left-wing perspectives on the world. So it's not a neutral business. It's not. It's it's not just. You can't just adopt it and think that that makes you a nice person. You you. It is a partisan decision to use this language. And uh, if you fail to use language like minoritized or the preferred pronouns, then you are doing violence to that person. And that always struck me as you know continuing to push us down the road to thought and speech crimes, speaking of George Orwell. Well, this whole idea that words are violence is, is a twisting of the word violence. And violence involves physical damage. And we've allowed that word to get away from us. And unfortunately, what, what happens when you corrupt language like this is you make it useless. Eventually, the word violence won't mean anything because we've removed it from its dictionary definition. And you one, of one of my frustrations yeah. with um, the way the dictionary world has changed is that we now look up everything online, and all of these online dictionaries are revised on, on a daily basis so that words are allowed to change rapidly, gallopingly, uh, on the basis of who happens to be misusing it this week, right? And um, and and it also balkanizes people, uh, not just because you're creating communities based on identity, but also because you don't have a shared understanding of what anything is. So 
uh, right, we have a Supreme Court justice of the United States who doesn't know what a woman is. So if we don't have shared understandings of what uh, terms mean and what's an appropriate term to apply to a person or a thing, then that just further, uh, you know, atomizes us as a society, doesn't it? Yes, and um, I mean, I, I think this language is is alienating. Uh, it it puts off people who don't think the same way, and it is it is a little bit uh, like speaking a different language. And the more we develop these opposing jargons, the more we reinforce being in different camps. I mean, the, speaking a common language is it's primitive. It it is a unifier. It is a, it is the way we we communicate with each other, and and increasingly we're not communicating, or what all we're communicating is hostility or group membership. Hey, to paraphrase Andrew Sullivan, who said we we all are on a college campus now. We we all reside in the Tower of Babel now. Well, I think that it's important to realize that we cannot be told what words to use and which which we can't. Uh, a lot of these edicts coming usually from uh, the university world are, are just made up by people, and they have no power over us, and we don't have to use these stupid words. I mean, one of the, one of the expressions that has really taken hold in the U.S. that I refuse to employ is people of color, which I just I find patently absurd. I mean, you can't say colored people. That's you know, that would be a fireable offense if someone said that in the workplace. But you put a little preposition in the middle and suddenly it's terribly respectful. Just structurally, it's arcane. It sounds ridiculous to me. And yet, people of color, I mean, I swear there was a particular week when it happened. And uh, suddenly the media were call, calling minorities people of color. And now, and and interestingly, only a, I don't know, two or three years ago, that was a foreign expression in the UK, and now they've taken it over. Well, I'm sure the Associated Press convened a wide array of people to discuss this uh, change in the nomenclature, <laughs> and they came to this conclusion. Yeah, you know how it goes. She's Lionel Shriver, contributor to the Spectator, best-selling author of "We Need to Talk About Kevin." And most recently, Abominations, Selected Essays from a Career of Courting Self-Destruction. Lionel Shriver, thanks as always. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Open mic. Open mic Friday. Call in now. That time of the week, 312-642-5600. If you want to grab a line for Open Mic Friday and share a comment, a compliment, a criticism, a general piece of crack pottery, we'll take it all, Amy. Uh, anything you would like to address before we yeah. get to callers? I just want to remind a person, people how crazy Randy Weingarten is. She's in charge of the Teachers Union for the United States, and she was in front of um, you know, the Supreme Court just, you know, as they were deciding whether or not about this, um, you know, to whether or not to pay off the student loans, whether it's constitutional or not, you know, to give people who went to college that we have to pay off their student loans. 
and she compared it to small business owners during COVID. Well, the government gave them money, so why can't we have our money? And she's a little out of her mind. During the pandemic, we understood that small businesses were hurting, and we helped them, and it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. All of a sudden, when it's about our students, they challenge it, the corporations challenge it, the student loan lenders challenge it. That is not right. That is not fair. I think she's going to have a heart attack. And she's flailing her eyes like, ah, I mean, she's out of her mind. So I just wanted to bring that to people. Yeah, I, I, I hope nobody needs uh, help distinguishing between the PPP program yeah. and student loans when the PPP was erected because the government shut, shut down, down. Right. businesses. It's not because they were struggling uh, of their own doing. It was because the government didn't allow them to operate. That's qualitatively different, but I know such subtleties are lost on Randy Weingarten. I did want to mention as well, uh, Mike Scott's been reporting on it, the the Jesse White endorsement of Paul Vallis. Surprised you didn't bring that up. Um, I don't think it hurts Paul Vallis, obviously. He provides him some cover when he's accused, as he was by Brandon Johnson on the Joy Reid show, of being a racist and right-wing extremist and dog-whistling and all that sort of thing. So you have some uh, black elected officials, former elected officials, to to, uh, provide some pushback. But I also wouldn't place too much stock in it. Just a reminder, very few politicians generally have coattails, particularly for uh, important races where people are, at least the people are going to vote, are engaged to make a decision based on their own interests and their own assessment of the choices before them. So don't expect because Jesse White says yes to Paul Vallis that that's going to represent some significant black vote moving into Paul Vallis's camp. Well, and at 9.30 this morning, they're going to announce another endorsement from some big-name person in Chicago. Just got the email yeah. at 9.30. Endorsements. How did those endorsements uh, go for Lori Lightfoot? Is it gonna you get mean the Kevin, Kevin Durant? Kevin, Gar- Kevin, Garnett. Kevin Garnett. Yeah, is he going to get Kevin Garnett's endorsement now? Maybe. It just doesn't It just doesn't mean that much at the end of the day. Provides, it's good to have a coalition to stand with you on stage. It's good to have surrogates that can provide some pushback. But uh, it doesn't translate into a whole lot of votes, generally speaking. George Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Dan, Brandon Johnson needs to be mayor stat. He lives in a dangerous neighborhood in Chicago and deserves full police protection for his family. I just hope the police officers represent the rainbow of our great metropolis. There you go. Thanks, George. I wonder if the next mayor will also have 100 officers dedicated to his security detail like Triple Threat did. Uh, Is she going to keep any once she's not mayor anymore? I don't know. And then what's going to happen with Dr. Awardy, huh? What, I mean, is Corona Busters, are they going to stay together, make t- take the act to Broadway? Yeah, I mean, maybe at least get together on the weekends for some role-playing, just to remember good time, you know, old times, have a good time remembering I want times. the poster that hangs outside the mayor's office of those two together in their costumes. They're still celebrating that stuff, yes. Yeah, we'll always have the Rona Busters. Uh <laughs> Elliot, do you know where I'll be? Oh, Elliot no. Wilmette. Do you know where I'll be, Elliot? Elliot. Elliot Wilmette. Where's Elliot? Elliot, you're oh. in my heart. No. No? Mm-mm. What? It's not the line. Well, what's the line? Don't be, 
Wait. I'll be right here. <laughs> and he points to the heart. Oh. Okay, thank you. Get it right. Uh, Will and Skokie. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm I'm interested for your opinion. First of all, where you stand on the Ukrainian thing, should we be supporting them or not? I'm I'm confused by conservatives because a lot of conservatives are like, get out of Ukraine. But then we promised to protect them if they gave away their nukes to us, as well as all of NATO agreed to do that as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded because I'm an old guy back in Vietnam when, you know, Nixon brought the Vietnam War to an end with a negotiated peace. <laughs> and then when the North came back in there, um, the Democrats uh, threw them under the bus and, and you know, said, we're not going to we're not going to do what we promised and support you. Um, so I'm just wondering uh, where you at as far as Ukraine and, and uh, should we support them or not? Uh, I do think we should support Ukraine. I think we should uh, act where we can to stop Putin's revanchism. I think we need to recognize who our mortal enemies are, and they definitely include Russia, particularly when Russia allies with other enemies of the United States like yeah. China and Iran, as they do routinely, uh, and maybe doing again here based on the intel that's being bandied about by the Biden administration, although you have to take that, you know, or you have to view that through a jaundiced eye because of the preternatural dishonesty of this administration. But I do, th I, I do think we should support, thanks for the call, Will, I th do think we should support Ukraine. It doesn't mean that it's a blank check. It doesn't mean that Zelensky calls all the shots. Um, but Yes, we and, and it doesn't mean that we get perfectly align on what Zelensky demands in order to come to the negotiating table. For example, Crimea, which is why the Biden administration is ducking the issue and just offering sort of general statements of this will be dictated by Zelensky. I know we don't want to meddle in their affairs, but by the same token, we don't have to uh, provide material support to everything they want to do. So um, generally, yes, but uh, the specifics matter, both in terms of treasure and as well as, of course, um, American military support to the extent that we would provide advisors and get beyond providing advisors, which we de facto are already providing. Uh, Glenn in Oak Brook. Yeah, hi. I just wanted to comment on this past Sunday's uh, NAACP Image Awards. I was watching it a little bit. They gave an award to Benjamin Crump, and he had a very fiery speech, which, which was anti-police, anti-DeSantis. And I just want to encourage people to just teach values and not teach hate. All right. Thanks for the call, Glenn. Benjamin Crump, of course, the, right. uh, the trial lawyer who is often seen representing families when there is a lawsuit against police for alleging police misconduct in civil suits. Right. right. His latest client is Tyree Nichols. Of course. Right. Yeah. Uh, Richard Blue Island. Yeah. Hi, Dan and Amy. Um, Mike mentioned in his newscast that an eighth grader won a state spelling bee contest spelling the word Saturnine, which ironically has nine letters. Okay. Now, well before I you know, got to eighth grade, I could spell the word anti-disestablishmentarianism, yes. which has 28 letters, two more than the uh, alphabet. Uh, my mom taught me that word, the longest word in the English language. Yeah, really? That's right. Exactly. A Santardine means what, Richard from Blue Island? Uh, that I don't know. I don't know the meaning of the word oh. Saturnine. Oh. <laughs> Common spelling, right? Uh, yes, the planet, and then add I-N-E, right? Okay. Uh, it means gloomy. 
Oh. <laughs> that's why I know what it means. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, that's so sweet that your mom taught you that word. Disestablishmentarianism or Saturnine? Oh, Saturnine. No, disestablishmentarianism no, is what Oh, because that's the longest word. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I, didn't I had to spell it uh, properly or no supper. That was how it operated in my household. Frank, Northwest Side. Hey, Frank. Frank. Frank, Northwest Side. Dan, Amy, how are you? How are Speak you guys? It. Hope you're doing well. Yes. Uh, had a quick, uh, just, just wanted to bring up a point on the Cook County property taxes yeah. uh, that have recently hit Chicago. Uh, we have a small business in Chicago, and uh, our second installment property tax that just came, you know, in December, uh, we were expecting to pay around 20000 for our building, uh, which is a manufacturing facility. And it ended up coming up as about $86,000, which was a complete shock to us. Um, so, the, I mean, that's like a 400% increase. And uh, actually, if you look at uh, ABC, Channel 7 did a special on us. And you can actually go on their website. Our company is uh, Belmar Wire Products. But this is something that is affecting, like, thousands of Chicagoans, not just their businesses, but, you know, their their homes and it's uh you know even my house went up uh it looks like for 2023 it's going to go up at least almost double you know uh, as far as my property taxes so i just wanted to bring that up and uh you know i think people should fight against this because this is total robbery i mean this is ridiculous it shouldn't happen um but just wanted to get your thoughts on that well it's the price of uh, being in that hot chicago real estate market i hear so much about I mean, I'm not laughing, but it's right. just the, the, the propaganda associated with this is a joke. Um, the last five years, Illinois is sixth worst in the nation when it comes to increasing uh, increases in home value uh, in real terms. Um, uh, the good news is we're ahead of Mississippi and we have we have, Frank, we have West Virginia in our sights. So we may be able to eclipse West Virginia in terms of return on investment in the the next five years. Um, It's a fraction of the sort of increases you've seen in home value in red states like uh, that where people are are going like, oh, I don't know, Florida, Texas, South Carolina, Tennessee. Florida. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No, it's a a killer. Thanks for the call, Frank. I I was having this conversation with some guys yesterday. I mean, and you just repeat the same thing you've. We've been saying, I've been saying literally for decades now because it doesn't change. It just gets worse, which is you don't own your home or your business in Illinois. It is merely to serve as collateral for somebody else's public sector pension, guaranteed seven-figure public sector pension in particular, that cohort of public sector pensioners. And so that's why you cannot get a return on investment. So these realtors and these hack politicians telling you about the hot Chicago real estate market – uh, let's see, year over year, uh, just data just recently out, year over year, the Chicago, Naperville, Evanston, Metro real estate market, when you're comparing um, metropolitan areas throughout the country, uh, came in at number 72, 73, excuse me, oh. with a bullet, 73, um, 5.5% increase in property value over the year over year. Uh, let's see, as compared to say, Northport, Sarasota, Bradenton, Florida, which was number one, at 20% year-over-year, 4X. Uh, So you get the incremental increase in your property value that is dwarfed by the increase in your property tax bill, and overall, you're losing ground.
that's the story. And by the way, with respect to what he said about his company, and I'll have to look up that profile. Uh, it's good to know. Um, that's what, in part, destroyed the South Suburbs, the Cook County property tax classification system that encouraged industry to flee the Southland to uh, collar counties like Will and, of course, to Northwest Indiana as well. But okay, I know, I know. Uh, the majority in the state is indifferent to their home value. It's stunning, but it's true. How do I know? Because I watch what people do. Tom, Halos Heights. Hi, Dan, uh, uh, Amy. Uh, I've been a Republican, conservative Republican my entire life, and I'll tell you, it just finally got to me. Uh, every year we sit back and complain about who the governor is. The, the Democrats get in the governor. They get in the uh, mayor. Why can't we put up a good, solid candidate that we – there's a lot of us out there that are just itching to vote for a good Republican to come up. Yeah, well, Dan, you're you're in you're in the committee, aren't you? To pick that selects these. Uh, no, I don't select any. I don't. No, I'm a committee of aren't one. You puppet maker. Yeah, I'm a committee of one. I don't do any selecting. I don't. There is and there is no real committee. There's arguments within the party about leadership, about the about uh, potential candidates or actual candidates. But you know, there needs to be sort of a uh, foundation a foundation of agreed-on principles for the party so that you can establish a brand and then have candidates run with that brand. And since we've chosen not to do that for, I don't know, the better part of three decades, you have a Republican Party that is completely irrelevant in this state. Thanks for the call, Tom. Where is the Republican Party taking positions on, offering a unified voice on, the, the inspector general's report in CPS. Which Republican addressed that? Office Not holder. One. Uh, legislative leader. Not one. State party official. Not one. Right. Uh, and, you know, and all of the general issues of the day. Where's the Republican Party issuing a unified denunciation of Kim Fox in the wake of the murder of Officer Lasso? When, based on what we know to be true about the assailant, he shouldn't have been on the street. Right. One, one alderman, Alderman Lopez. Well, he's not a Republican. He's not, but he's a reasonable Democrat. Well, I understand. He cares about law and order. I understand, and, and if you and if he wants to come over to the Republican Party, great. But my, but you know, my obviously my point still stands. Yeah. And this is this has been a feature of the Republican Party for, as I said, the better part of the last three decades, which is to have no features. Vicky, Northwest Side. Hello. Hey, Vicky. Hi. Good morning. Um, I saw. I was mentioning earlier. Um, I saw uh, Pearson Sharp uh, earlier this morning on One America News, and um, he mentioned something about a pandemic treaty that Biden is trying to push through the where the uh, WHO would oversee. Uh, the U.S. healthcare system, and that includes vaccine mandates um, and whatnot. And he's trying to go through the back door where he does not need Senate approval. Um, and there's only 17 Republicans that I understand that are, are um, trying to stop this from going through. But I don't have any other information. Have you heard anything about this? 
Yeah, we talked about this with Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano um, a few days back, and um, I asked him the question because this is being debated, and there's all the the D.C. press corps fact checkers are out saying, oh, what I'm about to say, that's not true. So I asked him, is what the Biden administration and uh, other leftist state heads of state around the, in the West is what they're pushing, a abdication of of their respective country's sovereignty, including our own? And he said yes. Carafano said yes. The fact checkers say no. Carafano says yes. I believe Carafano. And um, also he made the point that we're rewarding China Despite the fact that we know at minimum China covered up the leak at the Wuhan Virology Lab and right. uh, all of the associated deaths that occurred because of their lack of forthrightness at minimum. Um, nonetheless, we're uh, being deferential to China when it comes to this accord to put the WHO uh, on the point when it comes to uh, policy uh in the next pandemic. So, yeah, it's bad news. Thanks for the call, Vicky. Elliot. <clears throat> Hello. Maybe that's why you hung up the first yeah, time. Probably. No, Elliot, no, no. no. Uh, E.T. went home. Yes, um, I was disheartened to hear the other day when you had the Canadian lady on talking California, about how she was. California. I beg your pardon. She, she, had, she, she didn't like the fact that her, uh, her, her child was being without her knowledge they, at some point she said that had they merely brought it up to her attention she would have been okay with it or have, and, and as opposed to being opposed as opposed to not wanting her to be regendered at all i thought that was peculiar that she doesn't realize the regendering thing is, is a crock yeah aurora, thanks for the call aurora regino um so here's what i would say about that because other people made these comments to us too on email and text and so forth Number one, you have to calibrate your expectations for California. Number two, this is um, a mom who's just sort of just come to terms with what's happening in her school district. And the way I interpreted what she said is, you know, if I would have known and my and my daughter was persisting with this, then I would be supportive. I I, I wouldn't go too far in in. Uh, extrapolating to say, oh, that means she would support a transition and puberty blockers binding and whatever the the administrators and and psychs and uh, trans advocates would push on her daughter. But I just see she like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be supportive of my daughter. I don't know that that necessarily means she was going to let her daughter drive the decision making. And also, even if that is her disposition, uh, you know, when you come from a place where you don't have an appreciation for what's going on and then the shock of learning what's going on and then she's providing pushback and she is suing the school district, she's come a long way in a short period of time. So for a lot of people, it's not going to be a light switch, even though it is for us. Uh, Eduardo Midway. Yeah, uh, a lot of adults, one in five are going to be obese. So we by 2025... So we can thank the COVID lockdowns and Mr. Fauci for that. Thanks for the call, Eduardo. Mm, uh, Rich in Indian Head Park. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. What I wanted to say is when uh, Biden ran for the presidency, everyone said that he would be the grown-up in the room and be very compassionate to the people in uh, in the country. But yet when this woman... Uh, blamed him for what happened to her two boys 
uh, that died from a fentanyl poisoning, he uh, blamed it on Trump and kind of laughed. Instead of telling her that uh, he understands what she's going through uh, about losing a child because he lost a child. And what, what I'm saying is, is where is all that compassion? We yeah. know that his laughter came from a statement that was made uh, yeah. earlier, I guess. Yeah, thanks but, for the call, well, Rich. Appreciate it. Yeah, where the, the phony compassion of the left. All right, thanks so much for making us part of your morning. Sorry we could not get to all of your phone calls. Thanks to Justin Kosick and Quinn McCarthy. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the snowstorm. It is now 9 a.m. W-I-N-D Chicago. I'm Dave Anthony. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.